You're listening to episode 185 of the FitzPro podcast, and today we are getting into really loading techniques that you can use, whether you are a trainee or a coach, so that applies to people on both sides of that relationship. Hopefully this will be beneficial for both of you. This is going to be a longer episode, I think, so without further ado, let's dive in. The FitzPro Podcast is your no BS approach to seeking out truth in the world that is online health and fitness. You'll see through the lens of the trainer, the trainee, and the entrepreneur. I'm your host, Annie Miller, certified strength and conditioning specialist, entrepreneur, lover of sleep, lattes, and dinosaurs, aka not your average FitzPro. And my aim is to help you grow your mind, body, and business through knowledge and authenticity so that you too can become a FitzPro. If you are a coach and you are in the online space, I say coach, I mean literally anyone who falls under health and fitness professional providing a service in the online space or you want to, be sure to join my free on-demand workshop, Your Biz Your Way, Three Steps to Build a Profitable Online Health and Fitness Business. You can check the show notes for the link or go to anniemiller.co backslash workshop dash register. While you're over on the site, hit up resources, so anniemiller.co slash resources, and that is where you can find anything free that I have created to help the trainer, the trainee, and the entrepreneur. This is something that we go over extensively inside my peer programming course in the loading section, but I think that it's a really simple and effective conversation to have for trainees who are just following a program, as well as a topic to revisit if you are a coach. I think it's really fun to look at loading techniques and maybe, you know, it's so so easy to get married to one approach and forget that these other options exist as a coach. And that one of these might make sense for one of your clients or even one portion of a program for one of your clients where another loading method might work better for another portion of the same program or the same lift that you are prescribing or that you are doing yourself. So maybe for the main lift, percentages make sense. And then for most of the accessory work following that main lift, reps in reserve make the most sense. Things like experience and training age can come into play when we are choosing different loading techniques. So today we are going to dive into all of that and more. We will go over reps in in reserve, uh, rate of perceived exertion, AMRAPs, percentages, and the rule of two. All of these are simple methods that we can use to prescribe a load or how much weight someone is lifting for a given exercise. That's all that these are. My hope would be that you have a pretty good idea of which one to use when. And again, that's either for providing a load or prescription for yourself or for a client. So first up is going to be something that's been really popularized in the online space, I feel anyway, from from my perspective. So again, obviously I just see through my own lens. I see what I see online. Um, You may disagree with this or not, that's okay. So the first one is RPE and RIR. I actually personally became familiarized with rate of perceived exertion or RPE through conditioning versus weightlifting, but it can be applied to nearly any type of exercise or any type of place that you exert yourself where intensity is a factor. There are two different versions. One is where the scale is one to 20 and a more commonly used adaptive version of that 
is a one to 10 scale. One being no effort at all, 10 being maximal effort, nothing left in the tank. Generally speaking in training, in weight training, where we are pushing our muscles and attempting to elicit strength or growth, which is hypertrophy, the RPE is going to be above seven or seven and a half. It's going to be a challenging load, in other words. Now, another loading method is kind of the yang to the ying of RPE, and that is RIR, reps in reserve. I definitely came to know this in my college days, but we referred to it as go until you have two reps left in the tank, one rep left in the tank, three reps left in the tank, same idea as reps in reserve. From a programming standpoint, you might give a range of reps that you want them to hit. Like say you want somebody to hit reps eight to 12 or six to eight with a weight that is two reps in reserve. So if they hit eight reps and they feel like they could do three more, the weight needed to be heavier if that makes sense, or they need to do nine reps, right? If you gave them that eight to 12 range, it's literally just working on fatigue. You might just say, perform reps until one or two RIR and leave it completely open-ended. I might use this approach on an exercise like push-ups or strict dips or pull-ups, something where I know the number of reps that they're going to be able to perform is within the range that I want them to be hitting, especially with working for women in my field. For instance, I would never just say one rep in reserve for bodyweight walking lunges for my clientele. They would be walking for 30 minutes in a lunge. That's why it's so important to know the goal of the programming and make sure that we're prescribing the correct loading method for a given exercise because we want to choose the best loading method for that. It's easy to think of reps in reserve as the opposite of RPE. So 10 RPE would be zero reps in reserve 9 RPE would be 1 rep in reserve, so on and so forth. Now, inside peer programming, I actually have these charts all lined up next to one another in a graphic. I prefer ranges than definite numbers. That's just because how many reps somebody has left in the tank is going to depend day to day at a given load, which is also why the next method is not always my favorite, especially in working with female athletes, and that is working off of strictly percentages. So we're not there yet, but a nice little transition is to talk about training age when choosing between rate of perceived exertion or RPE and percentages. You could argue either way, but if someone has never trained before or may have a skewed perception of their own exertion, then RPE is not always the best loading method for a new lifter. Have they ever gone to failure? Do they know what that feels like? Do they know what an RPE 10 feels like? Do they know what zero reps in reserve actually feels like? Because that's the only way they're going to know what one rep in reserve or two reps in reserve feels like. It's a perceived exertion. I do have an inkling that many people are not working at the true RPE of whatever is programmed in their program, whether it's one of mine or not. They probably have like four to five reps in the tank when it's programmed for maybe two to three. So let's get into another method, which was likely and maybe still is 
the most popular loading method of all time. That is, again, using percentages of a one rep max or percentages of any kind. You can also work off percentages of a three rep max or a five rep max. Percentages make a whole lot of sense for big lifts, big compound movements like squats, deadlifts, bench press, overhead press, variations of these exercises, even something like a hip thrust or a Romanian deadlift. Think big compound movements. This is often used in powerlifting. You can even apply this to someone who could do weighted pull-ups, right? So if their one rep max with a weighted pull-up is 20 pounds, so they have added 20 pounds to their body, that's their one rep max with a weighted pull-up, then you could use percentages to prescribe lower working sets. So I want you to not restrict this to only the big the big lifts, if you will. You can also use percentages that aren't based on a one rep max, like I mentioned, so don't be afraid to combine these methods. I often use RPE for working sets of a lift, and then I'll use percentages of those working sets for a back offset, which we've talked about back offsets in other episodes. So maybe they perform three sets of three at an RPE of nine, and then they do two sets of eight, as back offsets at 70% or 75% or 80% of whatever weight they used for the three by three of an RPE of nine. Hopefully that makes sense with just listening and not seeing that on paper. Um, Percentages can also be determined from a three to five rep max. And I might put the equation in the show notes. Um, I can't promise that, but you can look it up. It's readily available through any personal training certification, likely how to calculate one rep maxes or any percentage off of a three or five rep max. I do think percentages can be great for a lifter at any age. When I say age, I mean training age. Uh, I think they have application for a new lifter or finding a three rep max, as well as any extremely experienced and advanced lifter working strictly on percentages of their one rep max because that is required and that is needed for someone in the sport of weightlifting or powerlifting. The con that I see, the main con that I see with percentages is that it doesn't take into consideration that daily energy and stress fluctuation that we often see with the normal person who's just coming to the gym to lift weights, to be active. I do think that sometimes we lose a bit of that grit and that drive and challenge when we change up training exclusively on the energy we have or that we perceive we have. More often than not, your body will show up and perform regardless of these factors. I see it with my clients all the time and it's one of my favorite things to see, but it is also a real factor. In some weeks, whatever weight is scheduled for 85% effort might feel like 97% effort. Or a weight that is scheduled for 85 might feel like 75. Maybe it feels really light. You could push harder that day. This awareness comes with training age. And if an athlete can push one day, say the 85% scheduled feels like 75%, I want them to take advantage of that extra energy. I want them to push. And if an athlete or client feels like that 85% is 70 or is a 97%, I don't want them to push themselves if they could risk injury. There's no shame in lowering the weight to something that actually feels like a proper 85%. I want them to be able to adjust and not feel shitty about it. So it's just it's just one factor. It's just a side note to make when we're talking about percentages. The next option is actually a fan freaking tastic option for new lifters. I think that 
it has far less risk involved than maximal load testing. And it's actually the opposite of maximal load testing, funny enough. So you're going to essentially find what their capacity is at the other end of the range here at a given load, what volume they can perform, and then you're going to work backwards to prescribe their working sets and loads. This also gives lifters a really good idea of what we talked about earlier, which is what zero reps in reserve, what an RPE of 10 actually feels like. If you've never used this, I highly suggest it. I was first exposed to this approach and this methodology, the specific way of using this approach, um, by Dr. Jacob Harden at his Prehab 101 seminar, which I highly suggest for coaches, for practitioners, for chiropractors, for PTs. I really enjoyed his seminar. And it had great uh, carryover into weightlifting, into loading, into how we prescribe given movements for a person. So AMRAPs, as many reps as possible. Now, this is a bit of a guessing game. But with somebody that has a very young training age, we need to communicate that finding a load or for a given volume is going to be a guessing game at first. And that's okay. There's trial and error involved in this. You have to use trial and error to find what your different thresholds are for different reps and sets. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. So the athlete is going to choose a weight that they think they can perform for 10 to 12 reps. And then they're going to perform as many reps as they possibly can until complete failure with proper form. The complete failure needs to be with that proper form. So we're going until the muscles actually stop moving until fatigue sets in and they simply cannot complete the movement versus when form breaks, okay? So obviously this is best done under supervision, but it can also be not done under supervision if this is communicated very clearly. Oftentimes an athlete will end up performing closer to 20 reps or more at a weight that they chose for 10 to 12 reps. Again, I really like this because it gives that athlete that feeling of actual failure of an RPE of 10, and they're only doing this for one set. So they are not going to failure more than one time for each exercise. I wanna make that really clear as well. And this is how they will then determine their working sets, their loads. I go into this in deep detail inside peer programming as far as choosing a load based on how many reps they performed. But if they performed only 10 reps, then obviously they would need to use a lower load for the working sets. Whereas if they performed 20 reps at this weight that they thought was going to be 10 to 12, then a weight close to what they used or a little bit heavier would probably work for their working sets, depending on what the volume was. Even with an intermediate, intermediate, excuse me, or advanced lifter, I think that using AMRAPs is just, it's a fun way and it's a low risk way of loading the athlete. And again, giving that person the experience of failure. So I thought I would throw it out there. I think it is used far less commonly than it could be, than it has use for in the industry. So take that for what it's worth. The very last one we're going to go over is really simple. I call it the rule of two. I don't even know if it's like a real thing. It's just what I've used with my clients for a decade now. Uh, this is very trial and error based, but it's something that I teach all of my clients inside Built by Annie. 
and that is that they should be struggling. This kind of goes off of RPE. They should be struggling on those last two reps. They should have roughly two reps in reserve on most exercises, generally speaking, if we're going for strength and hypertrophy. And if they can't finish their last two reps, then they need to lower the load. They need to lower the weight and reperform those sets. So it's just a general rule of two is what I call it. The last two should be a struggle. If you can't perform the last two, we need to change the weight. It's something that I've used for over a decade, like I said, and it seems to work with most people. They seem to understand it, especially when they are maybe a younger training age or learning what load makes sense for them. When they see a new set and rep scheme, when they see a new exercise, it gives them a way to navigate that. So if you found value here, please give the show five stars and a written review wherever you tune in from, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I don't even know where else you can tune in from, but I know that it's several places. So if you would give the show five stars, give it some love, help others understand what they can find here, that would be much appreciated. Be sure to get on my mailing list because you are missing out on exclusive podcast listener discounts if you are not. So go to anniemiller.co news. And until next time, I am Annie Miller and thank you so much for tuning into the Fitz Pro Podcast. Podcast.